Good morning. <clears throat> it's great to be with you again. Um, first, uh, quick question. Uh, has anybody ever taken care of a garden or like even indoor plants or... Um, I'm looking, I'm going out of town soon, and I was hoping to find, no. Uh, so, <laughs> in an extended metaphor on plants, uh, uh, as, you, as we, we think about what it means to disciple, actually, uh, all of our core values, uh, our church has intentionally uh, connected to growing things, namely trees, but plants or, you know, whatever. And um, when we think about discipleship, uh, there's a few things that come to mind uh, using the metaphor of the plant. Uh, and, and namely, you do things like what? You water the, the plants. You make sure they're, they're getting the sunlight that they should get, right? You make sure they're getting the fertilizer or nutrients that they should get. Uh, maybe you're even doing things like pruning a plant, which can be tough if you've ever had to do this. Uh, we have roses uh, at a few points in our yard, actually, and, and Kendall is the rose keeper. Uh, I let her do, do all of that so that I don't get myself in trouble. <laughs> She's nodding her head. Uh, and uh, however, the, I remember the first time uh, we did, it, it's a little nerve-wracking because if you've ever done it, you can cut roses back down very far, uh, 18 inches even, off the ground. And uh, and you might think to yourself, I'm killing this plant by doing this, right? I, I'm, I'm going to, uh, to, to snuff out the life that is in there. When in actuality, uh, if you know what you're doing, if you're a good gardener or a good uh, pruner, uh, what you're really doing is you're creating opportunity for even more vibrant, vibrant growth uh, than you would otherwise uh, find. And not only are you creating opportunity for more growth, but you are training the plant, right? It's not just a wild plant now. You are training it. And here at South Run Baptist, uh, we're, we're training Christians, right? We, we, are, we don't want wild Christians running around. Uh, we, we're, we're training Christians. And so as we think about uh, discipleship this morning, uh, the metaphor seems an apt one. Let, let's go to God in prayer. God, this morning as we come before you, uh, may my words be your words, and your words my words. Get me out of the way. Speak through me to the hearts of your people and to the hearts of me. I pray, Lord, this morning that your spirit stir in this place, online, in the houses that are watching, and Lord, I pray that you move us to action, that we might be a different people after today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Paul says any number of remarkable things in his letters, uh, one of which stands out to me today. He says uh, to the Corinthian people, I think he actually says it a couple times, but he says to the Corinthian people, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I want you to turn to the person to your left or right, and I want you to say, uh, imitate me. <laughs> it was a little uncomfortable, right? Yeah, uh, it's not the sort of thing we say too often. Um, there's probably a few reasons for this. Imitate me. Maybe, maybe there's some hubris uh, or um, 
uh, you know, uh, uh, arrogance, thank you. <laughs> I only know fancy words, uh, like hubris. I don't know the... the um, but, but probably what it really is, is, is that the, the uncomfortableness comes from the fact that you know who you are, and I know who I am. And to say to someone, imitate me, um, is, is dangerous. Because uh, maybe I do have some things you should imitate, but I've also got some things that you should not imitate, right? And uh, as David says, I, I know my sins and, and they're ever before me, right? And yet this is what Paul says. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And uh, I do think there's something there. And this is in part what is happening with discipleship. But if you're uncomfortable with the idea of imitating me, let's try this one on. Imitate us, right? Imitate us. Like, what, what if there was a place you could go to where you could point to somebody and you could say to your son or your daughter, you know what, imitate that man because that man has a lot of courage. And he, he knows what it means to have courage. Or imitate that woman because she's filled with wisdom and she's a wonderful person to imitate. Or maybe uh, you point to someone and, and, and you say, uh, imitate this person because they, they know what loving kindness looks like because they live it out on a daily basis. What if we had a place like that to go to? <laughs> uh, this is what the church should be, right? A, a place where we have examples abounding around us, where each and every one of us brings to the table something worth imitating. I, I, I do think that this is what the church is called to. Uh, I, I think this is what South Run Baptist Church often lives up to. We don't always live up to it, let's just be honest, but we often live up to it. We can live up to it, and it's certainly an aspirational value that I believe that we hold together. However, if you're to point to someone and say, imitate that person, it does require something, namely... It requires being person. It requires being together. The series that we're, we're going through, we've, we've called Better Together. And the simple idea behind it is that by gathering together as a church body, whether here in person, maybe it is in on those online uh, Bible studies, whether it's Sunday morning Bible studies or midweek Bible studies, but by gathering together, being together, we have the opportunity to disciple one another in those places. Going solo in the Christian life, I do believe, is a, a, it's a recipe for trouble. But together, I think we can accomplish much. Most importantly, we accomplish together the training of our souls. Uh, Paul, again, to the Corinthian people in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he uses a, a metaphor that we are probably very familiar with now, the metaphor of the body, right? This is the chapter where Paul starts to describe that someone's an eye and someone's a, a foot and somebody is an ear and, uh, and, they all, and we all have our, our parts to play. I'll just read a little bit for you. It starts in verse 14. 
This is what Paul says. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, that would not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there's just one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. The takeaway for me of this passage is actually quite clear. It's that we all need each other. That it is not just better together, it's necessary that we are together. You can't just simply sit at home, you the, the foot, and act like being alone a lone foot is enough. It's not enough. You need the other parts of the body to fill out what Paul is here describing as the body of Christ. You need the rest of the body to function fully. You need others with their gifts and with their talents and with their abilities. And I do think the presence, your presence, uh, in the body of Christ the body of believers, is important for two reasons. One, because you need it. You need those other hands and feet and ears and eyes and whatever other parts. You need them in your life. But here's the other thing, is that they need you. Whatever it is your part to play, whatever your part in the body of Christ is, we need you. We need you to pitch in, we need you to pull together, because we need everyone to create the whole body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the famous martyr of the 20th century, says this. He says, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ, which is somewhat provocative, but I do think it's true. Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. I think what he's saying is this. There, there needs to be a gathering of the body together. We need each other, and we need the collective attributes of one another, the collective good that we bring to the table that only a church can offer. And if Bonhoeffer is right, then the lone wolf Christianity is a Christianity without Christ, without the body of Christ. My guess is that's probably convicting to some of you. We like lone wolf things here in America. We're something of an individualistic society. But if that is you, I've got some bad news because Christianity and the church requires that we be together it requires a collective effort. 
There are no lone wolves. This metaphor that Paul uses, the body of Christ, is, uh, is in many ways a fascinating one to me. If you really just kind of sit with it for a second and allow your mind to just dwell on that as a metaphor, it produces all kinds of thoughts. And, and perhaps your mind might go in this way. We, the church, that is, we, the body of Christ, are the enfleshment of God and God's spirit coursing through us. God is a spiritual being. Spiritual being. Christ's uh, enfleshment himself, when Christ comes in the flesh, he teaches and he preaches and he models and he's an example and he lives and he dies and he's resurrected. And he is in this moment and forevermore the incarnation fleshment of God. That's what Christ is. But if we, we are the body of Christ, then there's a sense in which we collectively represent God on this earth. I would, have, I would, I would hesitate to say that you singularly do, though maybe even that's partially true. Certainly, we collectively, we should. We should be representing the body of Christ. Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 40 says this. It's a simple teaching of Jesus, but it's one that I think has a lot to say about discipleship. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I'll read it again, Luke 6:40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And here Jesus gives us the very clear goal of what we're trying to do in discipleship. It's to be like our teacher, right? To be like Jesus. Everyone will be like his teacher when the training is complete. Disciple as a word is a, is a pretty good churchy word. You might hear it in other places occasionally. It's usually a callback to some sort of church element. Another word we could use here is apprentice. Now, this word is a bit of a bygone word as well. Uh, however, I think it's appropriate. An apprentice. Do you know what an apprentice is? I think most adults do. I'll, for the children out there, uh, let, me, let me help you and, and the adults who are doing this because they feel like they have to. Uh, an apprentice, uh, certainly this is the way uh, economies used to work. Uh, you would have a master and an apprentice. And with a skill, uh, the skill might be woodcraft, the skill might be uh, metallurgy, the, the skill might be baking, the it could be any skill right? Uh, you would have the master who has been doing this for his or her whole life, and then you have the apprentice who comes alongside and learns from the master, right? Well, um, I do think there's, this is, this is exactly what's happening with discipleship with Jesus. You have your master, and then he is teaching the disciple, uh, the apprentice, uh, how uh, to be a good disciple. I enjoy cooking. 
Uh, I enjoy it quite a lot. And uh, as I think about cooking, uh, this too is an art or a skill that if I wish to, uh, and if I were really all in with the cooking, uh, I, could, I could find myself a master, and I could study with this person and learn how to be uh, a very good cook or chef. I will always be a, a modest chef, probably, because I don't have the time for that. But nevertheless, I could, right? And there's, uh, along with cooking... I've taken up a, a new hobby uh, of late, knife sharpening, <laughs> which sounds a little intimidating now that I'm saying it right here. Uh, it's, the knives are for the cooking, and you, you buy a block of wood, and uh, I th my, my family's shaking their heads, and then you sharpen your knives uh, on this, this block, it's called a whetstone, so that you have a nice sharp knife while you're cooking, Right? And if you want to become a really good uh, knife sharpener, you could do a few things. You could pick up a book, and you could read about knife sharpening. This is probably going to only get you so far, right? Because it turns out, you, in order to be a good knife sharpener, you, have to, you just have to practice. You have to do the thing. You have to make some mistakes. You have to get at it. So the other thing you could do is... Uh, what I've been doing, which is, is watch YouTube videos. <laughs> Lots of YouTube videos uh, seem to keep popping up in my YouTube feed about how to sharpen a knife. And they're helpful because it's an actual person showing you what to do, what angle to hold that knife at, like how much pressure you should put on there, uh, you know, how, how many strokes you need to get through it in order to get that knife to be able to cut the paper, right, if you've ever seen that. But if I were really all in, and if I felt a certain call in my life to drop everything I've ever been and to pursue knife sharpening as my uh, dream in life, this is not going to happen, um, I, I wouldn't just watch some YouTube videos. I wouldn't just read some books. I would find a mentor, right? I would find that master, I would find that person who knows how to do it really well because they've been doing it for a long time. Maybe they've been doing it their whole lives. And maybe their dad did it, and their dad's dad did it, and their dad's dad's dad, and it gets passed down through the family, right? And I would find that person. And I wouldn't just study their actions. I would do the thing alongside them. And then that person could say, yeah, that looks great. Keep doing that. Or they would say, you know what? Uh, you need to twist your hands this way or that way. Or, um, yeah, the blade now has been messed up. We're going to have to restart and do it all over again. But having that physical person in your life explaining to you what it is to sharpen a knife, well, that would be critical if that's what you want to do in life. In our passage today from Matthew 4, Jesus comes along, and it's a, it's a story we're all familiar with, where Jesus uh, shouts out to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and he says to them, follow me. And they, they drop their nets, and they follow Jesus, right? He has called them into this new life. And I'll just say 
right off the top. He's calling all of us into this new life. I might not be called to be a master knife sharpener in life, but I'm definitely called, and you're definitely called, to be a follower of Jesus in this life. And to do so, well, it requires being an apprentice. An apprentice to Jesus, and maybe an apprentice to others, not maybe, Definitely an apprentice to others in here who have walked that path many times before. How does Jesus apprentice his disciples is a good question. If you know your New Testament well, and if you know those Gospels well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, well, then you might remember that there's a few ways that Jesus disciples his disciples. One, he teaches. He does a lot of teaching, right? Sermons, there's a Sermon on the Mount, but there's also these parables he gives out. There's lots of various teachings here and there. Sometimes the teaching is to the masses, and sometimes it's straight to the disciples, and he gives them exactly what they need to hear. But teaching is just one piece of it, isn't it? He also, he models. He is an example of what to do. And so there's this occasion where the disciples come to him and they say, uh, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Right? Which is, uh, if you think, if you stop and kind of pause a second, it's a, uh, it's a childlike question. Right? Teach me how to pray. I don't know how to pray. My, I think all three of my children have said this. At some point in their early childhood, they said, I don't, I say, can you pray for us? And they say, I don't know how to pray, right? Teach us how to pray. And so Jesus gives them, answers their request, and he teaches them to pray as a child indeed should and would pray as we are all children. And the prayer goes like this, our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. And he he gives them a whole prayer to pray. And he models for them what it looks like to pray. He teaches any number of things about servanthood and and being a servant leader. And those who want to be in front need to be those in back. And and if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to be somebody who is a servant of all. He teaches this any number of times throughout all the Gospels. But there is this one occasion where he shows it, and it's an example that he gives. And it's the last week of his life, and he has invited his disciples uh, into a house, and he, uh, he wraps the towel around his waist, and, and as they're entering into the home, they take their sandals off, and their feet are all dirty and dusty and muddy and And Jesus proceeds to wash their feet like a servant would. Of course, uh, Peter especially, but they're probably all thinking, no, no, you're the master here. This is not what masters do. This This is what the servants do. And Jesus says, no, no, this is what the masters do. This, This is what those who are discipling others do. We we serve. We serve the world. And so Jesus, as the the discipler, he shows us a lot of ways to disciple, doesn't he? 
through teaching and through examples. And so as we, a church, South Rim Baptist Church, we say to ourselves, well, what should we do? Well, it's not that hard, is it? We, we have the model in front of us. And so what do we do? We do things like teach, Sunday schools and Bible studies. We do things like model. I actually think the modeling is, is, a, is more important than the teaching. The modeling, people, kids especially, but, but all people, pick things up through what you do, who you are in this life, far more than the things you, you say or certainly the things you even preach. And, and so your model is just as important. And we serve one another. We simply do life together. And Jesus lived with his disciples. They laughed together. They cried together. They went to funerals together. He even healed uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, of all people. The mother-in-law, right? He helped their families. And by the end of his, his earthly life, his actions and his life had made his way, its way, into the hearts of these disciples. I want to conclude how I will be concluding uh, every sermon for the next few weeks here and how I did last week, which is I want to read to you from our statement of what it means to be a disciple here at South Run Baptist Church. This is what we say. It appears on our website. Our council actually worked very hard on this uh, a few years ago, and I think it has stood the test of time. Our discipleship, we are cultivating and nourishing the body of Christ. Christ gathered disciples. He trained them up, and he sent them out into the world. Before a tree can produce fruit, it must be trained. It must be cultivated and nourished. And a core value here is to learn God's word and to live out the teachings of Christ and the life he modeled. This is a lifelong journey and we are all learning together. We do so according to Christ's example, always with a spirit of love. It is indeed better together. Let us pray. God, this life that we live is not our own. It is yours. And it is best lived in community where iron sharpens iron, where we grow together, where we learn from one another, where I can look around a room and I can think about the stories of how this person and that person has shaped who I am. And God, we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks for South Run Baptist Church and the ways in which it has nourished and uh, fed so many people over the decades. We thank you for the South Run Baptist Church that is here and now. And God, we pray to you. And we ask that you uh, teach us 
that you show us, reveal to us the ways in which we too are to participate in the discipleship of this community. Because we are indeed to be discipled and discipling. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to take a few seconds here.